What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range 4-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked center-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King Prawn Cocktail and Oak and Peat Cold Smoked Salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used to next grocery shop of €50 or more. Jill Dando was the golden girl of British television, working for the BBC most of her career. On April 26, 1999, she was shot in the head outside of her London home. After one of the country's largest investigations and the conviction, retrial, and acquittal of one suspect, we still don't know who killed her. This is Monsters Mysteries. Jill Dando was born on November 9, 1961, and grew up in Worrell on the west coast of England. Her parents were Jack and Jean Dando, and she had one older brother, Nigel. Unfortunately, Jill was not a healthy baby. As a toddler, her parents noticed that her face would get quite red and she would get out of breath very easily. When she was three years old, x-rays showed that Jill had a hole in her heart and a blocked pulmonary artery. In 1965, Jill underwent eight hours of what would be a very groundbreaking surgery at the time. She had her heart defects repaired, and after only a few weeks, she was able to run out to meet her parents when she was released at the hospital. After graduating from high school, Jill decided to follow in her father and her brother's shoes and get into journalism. Jack and Nigel both worked for the Bristol Evening Post. At only 18 years old, Jill contacted the editor of the Weston and Somerset Mercury and asked for a job. One month later, she became one of their first woman reporters. In 1980, Jill began making news broadcasts for the Weston General Hospital's Sunshine Radio. 
Her natural talent as a broadcast presenter led her to regular spots on the radio station. In 1985, Jill saw a position listed at the BBC and applied for the job. She got the job and began working as a breakfast program reporter. Her reputation grew quickly, and after a few shifts in where she presented for the BBC, she eventually moved to London to join the Breakfast News program as a presenter alongside Bob Wilson and Sally Magnuson. The storms which have battered Britain for the last three days are subsiding. Now the task of clearing up and counting the cost can begin. But before the winds abated early this morning, there was more destruction around the country. Another person was killed when a tree fell on her car in Hampshire. In Tawin in North Wales, which was flooded when the sea wall was breached, last night's high tide passed without major problems. The Prince and Princess of Wales will visit the area this morning. We've two reports in a moment, the latest from Tawin, but first Eddie on the damage elsewhere. Jill eventually branched out to outside of the newsroom and began co-hosting Safari UK alongside Julian Pettifer at the end of 1989. In 1992, she became the lead presenter of the BBC Holiday Show. Now, the handy thing is that you don't have to carry cash around here. You charge everything to your room using these plastic credit cards. But don't be surprised at the end of your stay when you find that there's a 15% gratuity on your bill, and that's added to every purchase you make. You can't go over 4,000 miles without at least a peak outside the resort. A five-minute ferry ride will bring you to the capital, Nassau. Downtown, the straw market does good business from the visiting cruise ships and others. Hello. Do you fancy getting away from the British weather? Well, stay with us, because tonight I'm in the Canary Islands, and with temperatures here warm enough for T-shirt and shorts virtually all through the winter, and being only four hours away by plane, then it makes for a very convenient winter break. This is the Playa del Inglés, the Englishman's Beach on the south coast of Gran Canaria. It's quite an appropriate name, really, given the British affection for holidays here. Actually, it should be Good Morning Thailand, because this is where Robin Williams filmed Good Morning Vietnam. The Killing Fields was also made here, but as well as being a great film set, the whisper is that Phuket is next on the list of affordable long-haul holidays. As with Goa in southern India, the introduction of charter flights has slashed prices to a place which until recently was thought to be out of reach to the average pocket. She also took over hosting duties of BBC's Crime Watch when previous host Sue Cook left in 1995. And now to the murder of a tourist, Maria Vodiansky from Stockholm, had been in London for less than two hours before she was killed in an arbitrary robbery. This is an appeal to the killer himself, to his friends and relatives, and to a London cabbie who couldn't possibly have realised what his passenger had done. Well, David Shipley, a tragic situation. Now, this was a busy Saturday afternoon in central London, lots of shoppers and tourists obviously around. Do you believe that all the witnesses you need have come forward? You probably don't. No, I don't, actually. Uh, I do know that the number 10 bus that afternoon was extremely busy, very full of people, and only a few people have come forward so far. I would like to take this opportunity to appeal to passengers on the bus that day to either contact the studio here this evening or the incident room at Paddington Green Police Station. Right, now, what would people have noticed about this man who committed this awful attack? We need witnesses, and bluntly, we need an informant on our next case, someone who's prepared to identify a gang who rammed a store full of shoppers and started shooting for no reason. It happened five weeks ago in Cheltenham. 
On April 25, 1999, Jill appeared on the television to present the first episode of the new BBC show Antiques Inspectors, where she and a group of antiques experts went from town to town discussing the locals' antiques. We're aboard the last coastal sailing barge to be built, and we're heading for Whitstable, which is our first port of call on the Antiques Inspectors this week. Able seamen Lars and David are with me. Lars, what are you hoping to find around here? Well, this is a part of England that's been settled for a very long time. Of course, Julius Caesar landed just up river from here, so we could find anything from Romans to what modern souvenirs. A little way inland, beyond the marshes of the Kent coast, Hillary and Tim are already hard at work, so while Captain Gerard Swift here brings the cabbie into port, let's see how they're getting on. The first season had just completed filming two days prior. On April 26, 1999, Jill had left her fiancé's house and stopped at a fishmonger before arriving at her home. At 11.32 a.m., Jill was just about to put the key into the front door of her home in Fulham, West London, when she was grabbed from behind and forced down into a crouching position with her face down to the ground. An unknown assailant pressed a gun to her left temple before pulling the trigger. Medical examiner Dr. Richard Shepard said that her death was most likely immediate due to the amount of damage that the bullet caused to her brain. He also said that having the gun barrel pressed hard against her head would have most likely muffled the sound of the shot. Dr. Shepard explained that Jill also had a bruise on her right forearm, which could have been caused by falling after being shot, or it could have been from being gripped by the assailant. A bruise on her right thigh and a graze on the back of her right hand could have also been from the fall. Reports say that her neighbor, Richard Hughes, saw her laying on her front porch, covered in blood. He told investigators, quote, I heard her scream. It was a distinctive scream. She sounded quite surprised. I opened the shutters and saw a man. He was well-dressed. He was wearing a barber-style jacket, and at first I thought it must have been a friend of Jill's, as he looked very respectable. I went to the door and saw her lying on the doorstep. She was unconscious and covered in blood. I was obviously shocked. I took a look at her, and she wasn't breathing. End quote. Interestingly enough, Richard didn't call the police right away. Another neighbor, Helen Dobble, was walking up the street when she saw Jill. She said, quote, I made a deliberate point of looking at her front door, and in one step everything changed because I saw the most horrific thing. She was lying in a strange position, and there was a lot of blood. At first, I thought she had been stabbed or attacked. Her hand was blue, and from the way she looked, I knew she was dead. It all looked very professional, end quote. It was 14 minutes after the attack that someone finally dialed 999. Jill was taken to Charing Cross Hospital, where she was pronounced dead at 1.03 p.m. Good evening. The TV personality Jill Dando, who as Crime Watch presenter helped to send dozens of criminals to jail, was murdered on her own doorstep today. She was killed by a single gunshot to her head. Tonight, the mystery over her death deepened with speculation that the killing may have been revenge for her anti-crime work. She was attacked at her home in Fulham in West London. A man was seen hurrying away. Paul Davis reports. In Fulham this evening, police erected a screen around the doorstep where Jill Dando was murdered. Forensic officers searching for any evidence that might lead them to the person who took her life with a single shot to the head. It's believed the murderer was waiting as the television presenter returned to the quiet street where she lived at around 11.30 this morning. 
Neighbours heard her screams but were unable to help her. I did hear commotion, but at the particular time I didn't think that the commotion was... Uh, what did you hear? I heard the scream. Neighbours have told the police they saw a tall white man running away from the scene of the attack. At this early stage, is he your principal lead? He certainly is. I mean, he was a man who was very near to the crime scene and then ran away from the crime scene. So he's somebody who we need to speak to urgently. Immediately, the media was reporting on any information they heard. It was reported that Jill was stabbed multiple times, but those were incorrect. Other reports claimed that a suspect had jumped from the Putney Bridge into the River Thames, but those were also confirmed to be false. Police did say that a man was seen running from the scene, though. One of the biggest criminal investigations in UK history began, and police interviewed 2,500 people and had taken more than 1,000 statements. Jill was a well-known public figure and had been in contact with thousands of people, which made the investigation that much more difficult. After a year of investigation, police began focusing on a man named Barry George. Barry grew up in London and suffered from epilepsy along with one of his sisters, who died during a seizure when she was 28 years old. He not only had a long history of getting in trouble with the law, but he also had a history of posing as different people. In school, he asked people to call him Paul Gad, which was the performer Gary Glitter's real name. He also claimed to be cousins with Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock band Queen even going so far as to change his last name to Bolsera, Freddie's birth name. In 1980, after failing in his attempt to join the Metropolitan Police, he obtained some fake warrant cards and started posing as a police officer. He intervened in a woman having trouble with her husband and took down her address. When he showed up at her house the following day, her son got suspicious and called the police. At his court appearance, he wore a glittery jacket, told them that his name was Paul Gad, and that he was an unemployed musician who used to manage three bands. Obviously, it was all a lie. Two months later, Barry went into the office of a West London newspaper and told them again his name was Paul Gad, and this time he was the British karate champion. He said that he had broken 47 slate tiles with a single chop and showed them a blank trophy. The newspaper checked out his story and learned that it was all fake. In 1981, Barry somehow convinced the event manager at a stadium in Derby to allow him to perform a stunt where he jumped over a row of double-decker buses on his roller skates. I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. Surprisingly, the stadium sold hundreds of tickets and he actually managed to pull off the stunt probably one of the only real things that Barry George ever did. In 1980, an actress named June Elvin got into an elevator with Barry when halfway up, the man stopped the lift and attacked June. She said that he grabbed her and tried to reach up her skirt and she fought with all of her might to keep him off of her. When a friend heard the commotion and ran to help, Barry managed to flee the area. He would eventually be acquitted of the offense. In 1981, Barry followed a woman before asking her out. When she rejected him, he attacked her, grabbing her breasts and trying to put his hand up her skirt. For this, he was given a three-month suspended sentence. After that, over the next year, he was stopped by police three times for harassing women. In 1982, Barry followed a young student home from a tube station and attacked her in a dark stairwell. 
The woman reported that he raped her before running off, saying he was sorry. Barry wasn't caught right away, though. On January 10, 1983, Barry was found hiding in the bushes at Kensington Palace. He was wearing a balaclava, and he had a knife and a poem that he had written for Prince Charles. Barry wasn't charged with anything for being at Kensington Palace, but he was connected to the rape the previous year and sentenced to 33 months in prison, of which he served 23. Throughout the rest of the 80s and all of the 90s, Barry was questioned or arrested for more cases of harassing or assaulting women, but he was never charged for any of the incidents. His history of violence towards women, especially famous women, and the fact that he lived just a half a mile away from Jill's house made him the perfect suspect. Barry George was arrested on May 25, 2000 and charged with the murder of Jill Dando. After Barry was arrested, police searched his flat and found hundreds of rolls of undeveloped film. When processed, it was revealed that Barry had taken thousands of photos of 413 different women. He had compiled a list of more than 100 women, including their addresses, descriptions, photos, and even their car registrations. Forty-three women from the neighborhood came forward to claim that Barry had harassed or assaulted them. Thirteen women were willing to testify against him at his trial, but the judge ruled that their testimonies were inadmissible. The one thing that solidified Barry's guilt by police was the fact that they had found traces of gunshot residue in the lining of a coat pocket. There was no motive, no weapon, no confession, no matching forensics, and no eyewitnesses that saw Barry at the scene of the crime. It was on a single grain of gunshot residue that the jury found Barry George guilty of the murder of Jill Dando. The judge sentenced him to life in prison, and the authorities patted themselves on the back about a job well done. Case closed. But the problem with a conviction based on no evidence is it's more likely to be overturned on appeal, which is exactly what happened in this case. Barry filed an appeal in 2002, which was quickly dismissed. He filed another appeal in 2006, citing that the single grain of gunshot residue was not proven to be connected to the murder of Jill Dando. Gunshot residue can be easily transferred and could have gotten there when he was being searched by police or while his coat was being photographed at the police station. Not to mention, this particle was found a year after the murder. This appeal was successful, and Barry was retried on December 14, 2007. This time, he was acquitted on August 1st, 2008. After more than eight years in prison, Barry George is a free man, cleared of the murder of TV presenter Jill Dando. He left from the back of the court, trying to escape the cameras. Mr. George's family have campaigned tirelessly for his release. So, if Barry George didn't murder Jill Dando, then who did? The first theories that I'll talk about are the ones that involve her love life, claiming she was killed by a jealous ex-boyfriend. Jill didn't have a history of torrid affairs with a number of different men. Not that that's wrong one way or the other, but her relationships were fairly stable and long-lasting, not something that lends itself to a murder by a scorned lover. She began dating BBC executive Bob Wheaton in 1989, and their relationship lasted seven years. 
She had a brief relationship with Simon Basil, a warden for the National Parks, before meeting Alan Farthing on a blind date in December of 1997. Alan was a gynecologist, and the two had plans to marry in September of 1999. Detectives searched phone records and interviewed acquaintances and quickly ruled out a jealous lover as a suspect. The most outrageous theories are that she was targeted by a hitman. Some people suggest that Jill was targeted by the London Underworld for her work on the television show Crime Watch. This was a show that ironically presented unsolved crimes and asked viewers to help solve them, like America's Most Wanted in the U.S. Supposedly, members of organized crime had Jill killed to send a message out to the world to not try to take on organized crime. The first problem I see with this theory is that Jill wasn't the only host of Crime Watch. She took over for Sue Cook, who had co-hosted the show with Nick Ross since 1984. Why didn't either Sue or Nick get assassinated by organized crime? Other people say that she was killed by Joe the Spanish Barman. Joe was the owner of a bar in Spain, and he had links to a man named Kenneth Noy. Kenneth had been sentenced to life in prison for a 1996 road rage incident after information was received after he was profiled on Crime Watch. It's rumored that Joe owed Kenneth money and carried out the revenge to repair his relationship with other criminals. The police investigated more than two dozen people who would have had reason to dislike the show Crime Watch and couldn't find anything linking them to the murder of Jill. Some people believe that Jill was murdered to silence her about an alleged pedophile ring inside the BBC during the mid-90s. A former colleague said that Jill was trying to expose the ring and had delivered a dossier containing her findings to management. Some people point to the fact that media personality Jimmy Seville was reported to have sexually abused hundreds of individuals throughout his life after he died in 2011 as evidence of this information existing. Jill was killed so that the truth was not revealed. The BBC said they found no evidence to support that claim. I mean, wouldn't they say that even if it were true? They wouldn't go, yep, huge pedo ring here, she found out about it all. Other people say that the hit was carried out in retaliation for her broadcasting in support of Albanians in Kosovo. On April 6th, Jill had hosted the Kosovo Crisis Appeal that had raised almost a million pounds to help those fleeing ethnic cleansing in the Balkans. This Easter weekend, we've all become aware of the humanitarian crisis facing the Balkans as thousands of people from Kosovo have left their homes and arrived on the borders of neighbouring countries. This is a massive exodus. Around 600,000 people are on the move. These refugees have been walking for days... When they arrive, they're dehydrated, hungry, exhausted and cold, and yet there's nowhere to house them. The main countries they're fleeing to, Albania, Macedonia and the region of Montenegro, are poor and they can't cope with this mass influx. That's why the Disasters Emergency Committee is today launching an appeal on behalf of 12 leading UK aid agencies. They need your help to provide food and shelter to the refugees who have nowhere else to turn. Shortly after, NATO bombed the radio-television Serbia building in Belgrade. The bombing killed 16 employees of the news station, one of whom was a close friend of the Serbian president, Slobodan Milosevic. It was reported that the day after Jill's murder, Tony Hall, the head of news at BBC at the time, 
received a phone call where someone with an Eastern European accent said, quote, Your Prime Minister Blair butchered innocent young people. We butcher back. End quote. Authorities believe that the phone call was a hoax, and police haven't taken any suggestions of assassination by a hitman seriously. Other people note that the shell casing that was left behind would have been sloppy work for a hitman. It was also revealed that Jill had been living full-time at Alan Farthing's house and rarely came to her home, which she was in the process of selling. It would be hard for a hitman to lay in wait for her to come home if she rarely did. In 2017, police officer-turned-investigative journalist Mark Williams Thomas interviewed an anonymous hitman who said he knew who shot Jill. The man was shown a list of 100 names connected to the murder, and he said, quote, There are names here that I recognize, and there's one in particular that stands out to me, but I wouldn't identify that person because it's very dangerous. I'm sure that they would come after me, end quote. Jill's brother, Nigel, reported that she had told him that some guy had been pestering her prior to her death. Could this have been Barry George? Sure. But even though police found a mountain of documents and photos of women in his flat, they didn't find anything linking him to an obsession with Jill. None of the developed photos were of Jill, and her information was not included in his list. Alice Beer, another presenter at the BBC, reported that both her and Jill had received letters claiming they would be kidnapped and raped about a month before Jill's murder. She said that the letters were never investigated after Jill was killed. If it was an obsessed stalker, they must have followed her around because, like I said earlier, Jill didn't go to her house very often, so it would be unlikely that someone could just wait in the area unless they were really lucky. In my opinion, it was probably either a random man or a stalker. I don't think Barry is 100% ruled out. I say this all the time, but an acquittal is not proof of innocence. <coughs> OJ. It just means the prosecution didn't have enough evidence to convict. It's possible that Barry George still, allegedly, killed Jill. One of the details about the bullet that killed Jill was that investigators said that it had most likely been fired from a gun that had been modified, like a modified starter pistol. Barry was known to have a starter pistol, and authorities believe a picture of him in a gas mask holding a gun is in fact a starter pistol. Now, I've read information about the difficulty in being able to convert a starter pistol to fire live ammunition, but I'm just relaying the information I found about the theory. I also feel like the neighbor, Richard Hughes, is a little suspect. He claimed that he heard Jill scream, looked outside, and saw her laying on her porch, covered in blood, yet he didn't call the police. He's also the only person who claimed to have seen someone running from the scene. I couldn't find much information about him being investigated or cleared as a suspect. Then, of course, it could have been a random person. Unfortunately, someone may have been in the area, saw Jill, and decided to kill her. Random crimes like that are rare, but they happen. They're also harder to investigate because there's no connection between the assailant and the victim. Let me know what you think in the comments, or you can go to our subreddit at r forward slash thisismonsters. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. 
888-888-7233 or go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will instantly take your browser to a Google search page. In the event the abuser is nearby, you can assure that you don't get caught trying to get help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at Buy Me a Coffee or check out some of our merchandise at Teespring. You can find information on how to do that along with links to our social media at thisismonsters.com. Thanks again. Life's full of things we can't depend on, like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now CERTA. Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CERTAIreland.ie. Did you hear that? Wine and champagne is 20% off. And that? Medium selection boxes like Skittles and Cadbury mix and match any three for €5. 20 and 24 can boxes of Coke, Diet Coke and Coke Zero are just €12. Have you got any 10 off 50s? And that's the sound of better value. Every week leading up to Christmas, there's new savings to be had. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Vouching abuse to next grocery shop of €50 or more. Vouch excludes alcohol. Please drink sensibly. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.